This is Audio Gyan and I am your host Kedar Nimkar. Welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the Indian creative world. BP Doshi once said a house is a grain like a small sapling in a biodiverse wild forest. I wonder what is a public space like a temple, a monument, museum, a park, an industrial zone, a 80 floor office tower or a man-made landscape. Let's explore more about architecture and history in this three-part series called An Insert into the History. This series is brought to you by The Drawing Board with whom I had partnered last year. The Drawing Board is an international architecture platform based in India where students can test their understanding and skills in shaping the way communities live and thrive while preserving local heritage the drawing board has been actively running architecture competitions for undergraduate students since 2016 it is conceptualized by mindspace architects and rohan builders this year the theme is to redesign existing badami archaeological museum in karnataka submission deadline is 9th october 2023 more details in the show notes and the drawing board.in we begin this series with architect prashant pore Prashant has a long and illustrious career that has spanned over 3 decades. His journey started with Naksha Architects in Bengaluru. He established his own firm Genesis Architects in 1994 and has worked on single residencies, apartments, offices, hotels and institutional buildings. Over these years he has also been a faculty, visiting faculty at MCE Hassan, BIT Bangalore, SIT Tumkur and USD Mysore. Aside from teaching he has also been evaluating architecture design as a juror at various architectural schools in and around Bangalore. We'll be discussing what goes into making a museum. Welcome Prashant sir uh, to Audio Gyan. It's a real real pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, thanks for giving your time. Thank you so much. This is a unique opportunity in some ways. Awesome. Yeah. So as I started off with uh, BV Doshi's quote and also kind of the premise is um the drawing board and mm. this year's this year's concept is also designing the uh, badami archaeological museum i thought i'll just start off by asking few questions around museum as such uh, mm. in a much more larger context and then maybe couple of questions in the end narrowing down to the current theme of uh, this year's mm. drawing board so yeah. uh, why don't we like just like why don't you start by saying like what's what's a museum according to you at a at a practical level at a empirical level or at a philosophical level uh, why do we need them <laughs> what's what's a museum for you okay um, okay i'll start with a slightly larger perspective in, in the context of how do we especially in the subcontinent view this term called history and uh, museums obviously are relics of history in some ways um, it's interesting because unlike the west we struggle if you if i would to use the word at the same time two three different time zones in the sense that um, in in most western civilizations it's been chronological you had agriculture then you had industry and now you have information and so on and so forth and uh, the tendency is to move from one to the other sequentially uh, one age finishes another age starts and that finishes and then one more age starts and it continues like that so it's easier in a way to look at what comes from which past and there is a tendency also to record it in that 
kind of chronological manner now unlike that in our subcontinent uh, india and neighboring countries included um, we have this unique opportunity or unique situation where uh, the cities are at the same time in probably two time zones you have industry happening and you also have information happening most cities are like that today bangalore pune uh, ahmedabad delhi bombay all of them but if you move 100 150 kilometers away from the city and start moving into the hinterland you suddenly encounter a different time zone altogether and suddenly you realize that uh, nothing has changed there and and you come across uh, societies uh, people sometimes technology and sometimes even day to day activities which look like they belong to a very distant past so uh, which is a very unique situation that we have hence our understanding or, or the way we look at history is a little different i guess because sometimes for us the history which is past the present and sometimes the future all exist in the same time zone mm-hmm. everything is happening simultaneously so 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 it's very difficult sometimes to qualify something as history because for somebody it is present for somebody it is right now happening exactly the way it used to happen and for them that is reality for you probably the reality has changed and for somebody else it's already ai and something else if i go to the outskirts of bangalore 20 kilometers away into the electronic city zone that's a different world altogether and a different generation of people living in that space or in that world if you want to call it that so 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 it, it's a it's a it's a it's a very paradoxical situation in some ways in, to describe what is history in this context what is history to whom for somebody history is present for somebody history is something which my grandfather did and for somebody uh, it probably doesn't even exist in their scope of imagination in that context how does one start looking at things which what would want to how do you say store or display or even uh, how do you say uh, archive in some certain ways so that, that is to me a very interesting situation that we are situated in some ways hmm. the other thing which i find also interesting equally is the way that we document history why museums and things like this are a little different in our in our context than they are in the western context one because and i blame this i won't say blame this i contribute attribute all this to this whole thing called climate because i'm a very um, strong advocate of korea's statement when he said that form follows climate not form follows function so mm-hmm. uh, in that context uh, in 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 the western situation one finds that because of the climatic situation that they live in lot of time spent spent indoors very little activities which happen outdoors especially in the months when you actually can't move out so the tendency to study the tendency to do research the tendency to do things because you are locked indoors most of the time leads to a certain degree of what do you call uh, expertise in certain fields of discipline that is the reason why probably research and development and lot of lot of original thinking which happens happens in that part of the world basically because there's so much time spent mulling and brooding and researching things hmm So, so so that that creates this milieu for recording which is very important then a, a, a scientific bent of mind or a logical bent of mind has this tendency to record i mean when you experiment something you record how the experiment went and you make copious notes of it and you record why it failed and then you start the next experiment again so 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 this tendency to write down things and record things makes them how do you say much more uh, adept at writing and recording history Mm. which is an extension of the same same way of thinking if you want to call it that so even when you go back 
a few hundred years back, uh, right down to Mike. I mean, when you were in Rome and looking at the museums and looking at Michelangelo and people like that, you will find letters written by him, and that is recorded, and all that is kept. So, so your artifacts and your archives are so well kept, basically because there's a tendency to record these things in a very specific and in a very uh, detailed manner, which which leads to also how do you say an ease with which then one can also start displaying them or or even putting them in, in in specific boxes if one were to call it that. Again, to digress from there and come back to the subcontinent, ours has been more more a history which is spoken by the word of mouth. Reason being that uh, we spend so much more time time outdoors than indoors. that this tendency to sit and do sit and do something for hours together days together or months together is not in our system in some ways which is why in a, in a way we become jack of all mm-hmm. and tend, and the tendency to stick to one thing and continuously keep doing that is probably not in, inbuilt in our system we are not hardwired for it in some ways is because of our tendency to move in and out so often your 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 tendency to be outdoors is so much more higher that the indoors hardly captivates you Hmm. so so to that extent the 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 lineage or the history of uh, of uh, recording stuff is a little less in the subcontinent and stories and the word of mouth takes much more precedence hmm. information yeah sorry yeah, to interrupt sorry. but but do you see that as uh, an exception or a common thing because if you see temples or monuments they have been inscribed and like Uh, i mean there seems to be some sort of a legacy on that front as well there is there is true mm. that, that is yeah. you do that only with your public buildings where probably centuries of work goes into somehow capturing something which is the essence of that age and there's a lot of effort and time spent into that in that one piece or one work of magnificence if you want one word to call it which records the history of a particular age or era so, so i was i was just coming to that in, in, in okay, a bit please. so yeah, so, yeah. so so the point was that because we have this tendency to to how do you say storytelling and uh, the act of passing information from generation to generation by word of mouth is 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 our our way of how do you say passing on our history to the next generation so this tendency of writing it down and recording it and keeping it intact the way the rest of the world does is is not something which we are that adept at we are slowly getting there <laughs> it is not something which comes easily to us now so so i have these two backgrounds from which my story comes one is this background of the fact that museums in the indian context are a little different basically because our histories are different the way we look at history is different and the two is the way we record history and the way we pass on information from one generation to the next is more verbatim or used to be at least more verbatim than what it has been for centuries in the west mm. the act of recording stuff and archiving stuff and categorizing it and putting it in in a certain order is is the second so, so, so that is a that is a second line and the third line is this whole idea of what do we qualify as something which we need to display hmm. because like like i said since we straddle different time zones at the same time what fun finds as something as an artifact which uh, would want to go into a showcase is somebody's item of utility he still using it today. <laughs> so, so, to, so to that to that extent to, the, to to that extent it is difficult to qualify what what exactly do you want to display and why 
So, 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 so there is a little, there is a little quagmire there in some ways. Hmm. And the, and the, the fourth thing, which which I think is important in some ways, is that again relating it to the subcontinent in some ways, is that a majority of our population being uneducated, coming from villages and towns. The museum as a typology is something which they are not used to. Hmm. It is it is not something which which is an everyday event in small towns and villages. You you find them mostly stone in the cities and tier um, two cities at the most, but nothing beyond that. Nothing which traverses or moves out into the other other parts of the country. So which makes it interesting because to to um, to make a place welcome for people across such a diverse range of backgrounds, people who can't read sometimes, people who come relatively illiterate backgrounds, people who come from um from from zones where uh you're not affluent enough to even think something this it's not even there in your anywhere in your horizon of thinking encounter a building like this or a place like this you don't know what to do with it or you don't even know whether i'm welcome in this place so so uh, so this whole idea of how do you make a, a type of building like this easily accessible to the to just about everybody who would want to be in that space uh, how do you make it welcome enough for everybody So, which I find the my fourth uh, issue with the museum, so the idea of history, the idea of recording, the idea of what to record, and the idea of is it an equitable space? Is it a space where anybody and everybody can be happy or be comfortable in? So, so this is my this is where my initial thoughts are. I'll leave the next question to you. Cool, cool. No, it it's so fascinating. In fact, uh, uh, I'm going to repeat this. I interviewed Anupama Hoskare from. Uh, she's mm. a puppeteer from uh, Dhatu, and even she mentioned oh. the same thing that, like, India has many Ramayanas, and India has. Oh. Uh, uh, there's no museum. It's kind of we are living museum altogether. We are just living exactly. in the moment, and and that's why. we can have like a vincent van gogh museum but uh, uh, i i can hardly imagine a similar one for kabir in india <laughs> exactly that, that's that's the point because it's, it's so much a verbal history correct uh, passed on through more word of mouth than something which you pin on the wall Correct, correct, correct. cool uh, and are there any i mean now since you have started off with like a, a premise of a museum being a little different set up in the indian context but whichever museums we have seen um, uh-huh. are there any sort of special characteristics uh, when it comes to museum architecture uh, now maybe we can take indian context or even uh, yeah, global yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this is this is interesting because um, there are two things with this museum typology i mean having visited a few museums uh, myself both here and uh, abroad uh, what the biggest thing that one one finds with museums is that um, most of the time it is on your itinerary of seeing a particular town or city and it's one of the things that you do it is not the only thing that you do so you're in a hurry most of the time and because you're rushing through these places the tendency to move from room to room and hall to hall and continuously grapple with so much of information that is um, that you have to kind of pro- process uh sometimes painting sculptures uh, artifacts this that so many other things is that after a certain point of time there is um, there is a huge amount of fatigue i would mm-hmm. say visual fatigue and also the fatigue of digesting copious amounts of information so uh 
I, I think the key to most good museums, actually, I think even across the world, even when encounters them in books and uh, some visited, is the fact that when you get this areas for repose, an area where after a few halls or, or between halls or wherever else it is, there is some break, there is some reason to walk out. Mm. Not, I'm not saying walk out of the museum, but at least a space which is not a museum or, or, or a space where you see something else or a space where you don't see something Probably it's landscape, probably it's a courtyard, probably it's an open to sky space, or probably in our context, in a country like ours, an open to sky space or something which, which allows for a break, which allows for you to digest what you just saw, pause for a certain time, and then move on if you want to, or take in whatever that you need to see later, depending on how fast or how slow you want to do it. So I, I think the critical thing in most museums is that, that there's loads of information to be processed in a short period of time. And the tendency for people to, to run from hall to hall or, or move from hall to hall in a hurry because uh, not everybody is interested in everything. So, so sometimes you pick on the good things and some, sometimes you just move from space to space. But then at the end of it, I remember it, 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 it was in Florence, if I'm not wrong. And one was rushing through uh, the UFC gallery and um, so there are three, four galleries there. And after a certain point, even a Michelangelo doesn't interest you anymore. <laughs> because there is there is so much that you have seen that you say enough both of you so that that point, that fatigue of continuously processing information is, is I think a, a little too tiring after a certain point of time and I think the best museums in the world this is a global um, phenomenon which I think uh, uh, works across the board irrespective of climatic conditions and regions where they have been built in is the fact that museums which have these breakout spaces or museums which tend to allow people to move in to other areas other within the museum uh, tend to work better than museums where it is hall after hall after hall. So that, so that, is, uh, that I think is, is, is a very uh, important phenomenon in, in a museum typology. Now the next question, which museum in my mind kind of satisfies most of these parameters that I've been talking about and I think Undoubtedly, and most people would agree, um, I don't think anything comes close to, or even uh, at least within the subcontinent, anything comes as close to the solving this quandary other than the Gandhi Ashram in Ahmedabad. Mm. Now, why I say that is, uh, I, I say it from three, four uh, points of view. Point number one, it's a building which has no entry, no exit. Mm. The, there, you don't encounter a door anywhere. Wow. Mm. So, so it doesn't it doesn't tell you when the museum started. You're just walking through a path and you suddenly encounter a pavilion, you walk into the pavilion and even before you realize, you're already seeing the museum. Mm. So, so this, this arrival and this whole ease with which one walks into a building type like this, I think is the most beautiful thing that can happen. One, because I think it's one of the rare or few museums that I want to wear you could see villages walking next to you, people in uh, from, from the villages, uh, dhotis, turbans, um, uh, chewing pan, doing all kinds of stuff. And they're as comfortable in that space as anybody else. I guess it is because the threshold is so subtle. What is out and what is in is so, so subtly defined that you don't even realize when the barrier got broke. I think that, that, is, the, that is the first... First thing that the act of entering itself, I think, is scored a hat-trick in that. The, the, the second part is this whole idea of, like I said, 
the act of moving through that space which then allows you to meander in a manner where most designers tend to control how people move through museums there is a very sequential way by say hall 1 then you arrows point hall 2 then arrows point hall 3 and there is a sequence in which you see the whole thing and get out so so there is a thread which kind of unknowingly makes you walk through a museum in a certain manner this is one of those rare cases where you choose where you want to go Mm. So you come back to a veranda. You stand there. You gaze at the courtyard. You see some water lilies there. Um, you sit there by yourself, um, ponder over what you saw in hall number one, and you could choose to go to hall number two or forget it and go to hall number three. It's still okay. So, so, so the point is, the the control of what you want to see has been passed on from the designer to the viewer, which I think oh. is a is a very brilliant strategy in some ways because then. it is not a controlled exercise uh, an exercise in control anymore because most mu- most museums because of your cctv cameras and the security angles that uh, direct how people are supposed to move where they will move tend to keep circulation on a very tight leash mm. you want people so, so that you can track them you know where people are going and you can track them okay this fellow entered here he must this past hall two he must be in hall three there is no way he can go to any other hall now that doesn't happen here no i don't i don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing but from a viewer perspective i think it's the best thing that can happen sure. the fact that it, it it takes away this whole idea of fatigue because you finished a hall you came out you sat in that courtyard there are views of the green beyond sometimes you see the river uh, flowing by at, at a, a little lower level you can walk up to it come back again and start from somewhere else because as i said the building is so transparent in all directions that there is no fixed entry point in If I go towards the Sabarmati, there is a pavilion which leads you towards Sabarmati. You come towards the road, there is another pavilion which leads you towards the road. So, so, so there is this ease with which one navigates through this space, and it, it's a beautiful space to be in, pondering over the life of this one who who changed the des- destiny of this country in some ways. So, I, I think, as a, as a museum typology, I think it, it is one of the most interesting museums one can think of within our subcontinent. I don't think anybody has even come close to it till now. Awesome. Uh, so, uh, so yeah. just a couple of questions, uh, as in, like, like one follow up on the earlier one where you mentioned about the fatigue, which is just just get mm. created. In fact, uh, I have a almost similar parallel in, especially in the Indian context, is like whenever you see museums in, say, like Amsterdam or some place else, uh, mm. you have typically two languages maximum: it's English or Dutch or English or French, mm. uh, yeah. and with India, like. you need at least 3 right 3 mm. perhaps 4 yeah, also yeah. so so documenting them sharing them with that articulate format is also sometimes doesn't happen and that's why people are not interested maybe so they just move away so one of the factors could be that as well uh, is this safe to say yeah absolutely i was coming to that as the next point uh, uh, okay. which is not from which is not from uh, the gandhi ashram at abdabad but i came across this very unique museum uh, in shillong of all places it's mm. called the don bosco museum and mm. I, and it, uh, it captures the um, this history of all the seven states the seven sisters as they are called uh, arunachal pradesh meghalaya um, mizoram tripura uh, assam all the, all the seven sisters the mm. seven states of india in the northern northeastern part mm. uh, the the various tribes their cultures and this and that what i found interesting there and, and i think which is which is also very which ties in with what you were saying is the fact that we believe that everybody who comes to the museum can read it mm. 
now in in our context there is also this problem that if if it is an open space like this which you think everybody can walk into it will it will make it is greek and dutch to people who can't read so, so what i found interesting in this particular museum was there were so many other mediums by which one could experience what is being shown there for example if there is if there is a, a, a showcase which is carrying all the musical instruments of the area which have been pinned up there is also a there is also an audio pad there where you can put on a micro put on a headphone and listen to the musical instruments being played hmm. so 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 there is so there, there is a audio format there is a video format there's all obviously the visual that you are seeing most of the time you can read stuff so so the so this multiple ways of experiencing something i think was absolutely fascinating there are there are places where one can see a dance of the of the tribals happening on the screen which is right as a part of the same hall which is also showing the other other things there mm-hmm. um so, so so one gets to see because the other the other big quandary of a museum which which korea uh, uh, puts so beautifully in his book is, is the fact that uh, we take objects out of their context when mm-hmm. the minute you bring it to a museum um a spinning wheel or or anything else which otherwise in a house or in another setting would be, would have been seen in a certain manner, manner suddenly is under spotlight in a showcase here hmm. so, so so the minute you you objectify something like that you lose the context of that object or or you lose the context of how this particular thing sat in its uh, in its milieu in some ways so so, so hmm. what what this museum was doing and it did it so well was It, when it was showing people it was showing them in the setting in which they lived so there were actually models of the entire community of the village with these people walking around beautifully done models and in in that context then you see clothing you see utensils you see uh, uh, the things that they use for agriculture you see the entire setting in which this object needs to be seen beautiful and I, and i and i think that that was a very interesting way of putting this across because that is the that is the biggest problem in most museums is that when you see an object totally devoid of context as something which is pinned or stapled on the wall there is your your attachment to that object or your understanding of what that object is doing there it is just that it is something there on the wall which i saw in a vent but i don't understand its context i don't understand where it came from what it did so be it be it a cooking utensil or a musical instrument or the clothes people wear or the houses they lived in or whatever else that that one normally sees in museums it is interesting when when some way if you can bring in a certain sense of this of the context of a particular object correct so, so so that is one and the second if if multiple senses or multiple sensory experience could be created where it is not just what i see i can also hear something i can also uh, uh what what something so so there are multiple things happening at the same time i, I think that was that was a, though the museum was not a great designed space per se but the experience was interesting yeah, yeah. i i want to double click on this small piece of uh, gandhi which you mentioned the gandhi ashram is it also because of the uh-huh. fact that gandhi himself was a little minimalistic not many positions so uh-huh. is it because of the subject itself uh, that uh, they could Obviously, build something like Mm-hmm. obviously the subject matter uh, contributes so much to the whole thing no the whole idea of simplicity the whole idea of minimalism the whole idea of materiality because his ashram is right next door so which will also bring in the whole idea of context when one is talking about vadani in some ways 
that mm-hmm. uh, how does one then start relating to the context of the place where this museum is being put up? Okay, uh, okay. And uh, what what clues or what cues does one take from that whole idea of um, how do you place uh, a foreign entity like a museum in a in a context like a Badami or a, or a small town like that where this typology doesn't even exist? So, 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 uh, is it is it just a building then, or 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 is it probably like like the Gandhi Ashram is in some ways? It is an experience. It is not to me. It is not so much a building. It is an experience because it's a very difficult building to photograph. Correct, correct. So we'll, we'll, we'll come back. Try to... photograph. Yeah. Huh. Sorry. Uh, no, so we'll come back to the Badami Archaeological Museum thing. But just like one last piece in designing a museum. So Gandhi Ashram would be an exception, but I'm sure there are many museums where uh, there are a lot of ar- artifacts and a lot of subjects which are there, which needs to be probably controlled in a in a particular climate, in a particular temperature and so on and so forth. So, so, so how does like other parameters like sustainability and security or accessibility what role do these play uh, uh, if you can explain with some example or are there any guidelines as to or best practices as to if you have something which needs to be climate controlled uh, then mm. this is a better so, way as opposed to no, obviously most museums will end up having some part of their collection which requires climate control um, depending on what kind of museum it is obviously if it is something to do with documents and Old manuscripts and stuff like that, which are which are uh, probably damaged by humidity or excessive light and stuff like that. But then, like I said earlier, it is nice to identify what needs spaces like that and what can manage mm-hmm. to be displayed in spaces which probably don't require it. So, so it, it is it is best taken case to case and handled in a manner where it allows, like I said, the variety in which you could see these uh, objects. Some 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 objects could be obviously clubbed together, which require this kind of um, controlled environment, as, as one would call it, which would also then reduce the the uh, the dependency of most of this uh, mechanical ventilation and lighting systems to areas which require them. And one doesn't apply that as a formula for the whole thing, because then 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 the experience of the whole thing then becomes kind of the sameness kind of sets in. So it, it it would be interesting, or it would be nice to check out which which portions of your museum need to do that, and which portions of your museum can still manage to remove some objects which which uh, probably can be displayed in a much lesser controlled environment. So so it also allows you to then play with the environment of the museum in some ways that I more into something which was much more much more delicate and much more intricate and where I spend more time in a controlled environment. But then when I move out. I also see other objects and uh, artifacts which are displayed in a slightly more natural setting, where where yeah. probably the uh, control is not so much. Hmm. It also build, helps in building the variety in some ways. Correct, correct. And and also, if if I want to extend this further, uh, speaking about Gandhi, I think he only mentioned about saying that any place uh, to be built should be built within the material found in five kilometer radius, uh, being highly decentralized. I, I may be like mistaking it, but uh, this this oh. I've heard many times, right? Like uh, we can build spaces. Uh, in fact, there's something called as fifteen minute cities kind of a concept now emerging. So how how true is that, and how can Sorry, uh, and and how do you kind of leverage these local materials or craftsmanship uh, to create a distinct identity for the museum? And then, like to your earlier point, how do you like 
categorize this and then any any thoughts around there yeah so that the context emerges yeah no that's an that's an interesting point in some ways because it brings me to the next point which talks about this whole idea of craft hmm. right because again uh, relating it back to the subcontinent uh, the whole idea of craft in the subcontinent is something which we all encounter all the time saying that any part of the country you walk into or any of the crafts that you, you normally end up seeing uh, you always encounter this situation saying that the last generation was doing this or this is the generation doing this but their children are not going to do this anymore mm-hmm. that is a common common thread of thought that you'll hear across the country and related to most crafts now now that that is whether it is building crafts or uh, weaving or whether it is painting or whether it is anything else now the reason that mostly happens is basically because a craft mostly the crafts in our country and this is again bringing back connections to what this museum needs to also be doing is the fact that uh, crafts are left to remain as crafts practiced the way they were practiced for centuries generation after generation prides itself in doing the same thing now now the problem that creates is that as the context outside is changing this society outside the towns and the villages and the cities are changing so rapidly that some of these crafts lose their importance or relevance basically because the context outside is so different from when these crafts were practiced so so the only way to for a craft to survive or a craftsman to survive or an art to survive in that context it would be that it had to it has to evolve Mm. nobody no, nobody doubts the skillfulness of a craft but if that skill can evolve and do something more so which is where I, i would even put it to you as a designer saying that as a designer if i'm working with a crafts person it makes sense that with the help of the crafts person a designer can evolve something out of the craft which helps both the crafts guy gets the advantage of having learned something more to do with his skill which is much more probably um, current or much more in sync with what is happening around uh, in terms of the kind of artifact being produced or the product being produced and as a designer it also helps you to 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 work with somebody who's that skillful which otherwise you would never encounter mm-hmm. so, so 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 whether it was building so so i'm bringing it back to this idea of building and the whole story of the materiality and construction that we talked about sustainability anyway talks about this whole idea of sourcing materials within a certain range so that uh, your carbon footprint of bringing materials from far off places is that much reduced one doesn't deny that at all but the point there i'm trying to make is a little different saying that simply taking something which is there and saying i'll use it the way it is 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 i think uh, in a way not doing justice to what those crafts actually mean so if the materials are found in a particular region and there are crafts people or skilled artisans or people who work with those materials it would be interesting or it would be nice to look at a situation where those crafts are are made to do things which are not what they were earlier doing there is an element of design involved which which forces or educates the crafts people to to look at the same things that they were doing all these years a little differently which then also makes that craft evolve and makes it i would say not lucrative but at least a reason for somebody else to continue the legacy otherwise people tend to tend to tend to rob these things simply because there is not enough the economics don't make sense 
simply because yeah. that that craft is not selling as it used to probably in your father's time or grandfather's time. So so that that is that is the next big thing which also comes to building construction and and skills and uh, skilled craftsmen and uh, uh, the whole idea of uh, uh, traditions which exist in in the building uh, industry in certain regions of the country. If one has to use them and uh, kind of see that they don't die out or, or uh, are given the right kind of uh, patronage, if you want to use the word, the best way to do is to get these people to collaborate with architects, designers, um, whoever can help them get their crafts and skills to evolve. Then mm. that is an interesting proposition because that will then look at this whole idea of how does one build in a situation like this with with these issues that one is talking about. I, I remember me talking to uh, Nandkishore Chaudhary uh, from Jaipur Rugs and I think wow. they have done a really good job of like clearly empowering the uh, artisans and the craftsmen and mm. still keeping their integrity uh, or, or aesthetic sense uh, alive. Uh, you have mm. any examples of like where it has been done in India or abroad where like the natural setup is being very elegantly and organically uh, seen in the museum or or any monument. I mean, monuments have historically we have seen those, but more in the oh. modern age. You're talking about museums in the contemporary sense, yeah, or, yeah. or materiality and construction in contemporary museums. Correct. Yes, uh, I I don't recall anything which is of that significance which has been done currently right now, mm -hmm. which uh, which kind of captures the essence of these kind of things. But there are examples of. Uh, uh, of projects which uh, which have not done so much in the museum typology, but otherwise in, in the other typologies in hotels and 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 uh, probably in 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 uh, resorts and um, in, in um, some public buildings. Some of these examples have been done successfully, but I don't remember immediately recall anything that a museum has been done with with the same kind of. Um, uh, finesse where, where, where a certain craft or a certain traditional way of building has been put to test and uh, kind of uh, done much more logically in the current context. Yeah, yeah. In 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 terms of architecture as in buildings, uh, we can see many examples, right? From the I think the Jaipur uh, Girls School, uh, which is quite oh. famous on social media. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. So so well, I, was, I was visiting that school very recently, just about uh -huh. uh, yeah, about five six months back. I was. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. Okay. Huh. So, and this year's theme uh, is to redesign the existing Badami Architect uh, Archaeological Museum, right? So, uh, right. any, any, like, I don't want to give away, like, or or maybe, like, give away any ideas, but generally, I'm oh. hoping that uh, the undergrad students will be listening to this. Like, how can they approach uh, integrating this cultural diversity and also the historical significance, uh, especially into design, right? So, uh, you have any ideas, any... I don't know how to put it, but you know what yeah, I mean. Right? It's, it's, yeah, I know. Uh, it's interesting because I had taken my second year students right, this is 2016 to Madhami. There is a there is a small movie which we had made on Madhami. I'm sharing the link with you. You can put it up as part of this podcast if you want to. Sure. Um, it's a it's a it's a 10 minute uh, video huh. or a small movie made on Madhami uh, where the students have gone to go and measure the place and document uh, some of the play. Uh, Things that they saw there. It, it was a 3D exercise. I was I was there with them in Badami when it happened. Um, beautiful exercise. Um, 
second year students so they just raw still in the course and uh, uh they, they did a fantastic job with uh, with uh, the docu- with the documentation and also the way they went about the whole thing hmm. but that was a very unique place in some ways but it's a very small town it's not a historically very significant town but in the present context it's a very small town and and it's one of those uh, historical sites where uh, which is part of that circuit when pe- people travel to hampi ayole badani patakkal and stuff like that but somehow not everybody goes to these places people hampi is the is the star there so people go to hampi most of the time and they're gone uh, rarely do they move into the other areas and this is one of those areas which is uh, which i think people should visit it's it's a wonderful setting um the hill on one side and the uh, and the rock cut caves and going down to the lake and then the settlement on the other side of the lake it, it's a it's a pristine beautiful setting um a town which hasn't grown i've been seeing this town for almost 30 40 years now it's not a town which has grown drastically it's still a very tiny and a, a sleepy kind of town it's still retaining like i said its old history in some ways so um, so so it, it's a difficult setting in that sense like i said in in the context of what i was saying earlier to bring in this new type called museum into a setting like this um how, how do you how, because apart from the visitors who will come and see it there is there is a local population also to whom it belongs so so, so how, how do you how do they interpret this history in a way where it is part of their everyday life in some ways and at the same time a visitor gets an overview of what this town was all about and uh, given that uh, background i think uh, all the earlier threads of thought which i talked about were all how do you say links of talking about how one would look at this uh, uh, situating a project here so this whole idea of uh, since i was continuously referring to the to the country and the subtropical region the whole idea of moving from from hall to hall or moving through the idea of a museum how does one then break and create spaces for pause was one of the ideas uh, how does one how does one make this a democratic and a easy to approach space because like i said the town is in close proximity people are uh, are not uh, how do you say so conversant with the typology called a museum and how easy it is for them to move and walk through this space and make it almost belong to them because it is uh it is such a small town that everybody within a within a 5 minute or 10 minute walk will reach a museum so so, so it, it it is within, in the context of that that one has to look at uh, how does this museum then start belonging to uh the town in some ways which which also then means that one also has to look at activity in a slightly different uh, context because our tendency to look at buildings as types Mm. x is a hospital y is a museum z is a hotel uh, a is a office we tend to categorize buildings by their names or by their uh, typologies and a typology is supposed to do only that a hotel is only for people to go stay eat a hospital is where you go when you are unwell uh, office is where you go and work so the, the activity defines the type of the building in some ways and we don't how do you say think of spaces of occupation which could have multiple activities mm-hmm. it would be interesting to look at a museum in a context like badami where it is not only a place for 
display of artifacts and stuff like that but it also in some ways engages with the fabric of the society that lives around will people around in that area come and sit below a tree in front of a museum and have the daily chat will will the panchayat sit there and do their work while the museum is doing its own thing no no so so it would be interesting to see that for a for for uh, so I, i i wouldn't want to call it a museum in the because i'm falling into the same trap i'm calling it a museum hmm. if, if 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 i don't call it a museum if i say this is a space for the village where in one place there are these artifacts for display for visitors and if it's like somebody came to my house and i have things to show so the, somebody came to my village yes there are some things to show they can see those things but there are other things that happen in that space which belong to our daily activity hmm. so there is a reason for people to be in that space most of the time irrespective of whether they are actually seeing this those artifacts or not so so, yeah. so there is a constant engagement with, with with that space of occupation i won't call it a museum it's a space for this for the village it's a space for the town where multiple things are happening probably on the fringes or probably on the periphery but they involve this activity of the museum in their in their space and time hmm. so, so to I, that so yeah sorry uh, no no so in fact i this like this reminded me of the kanchenjunga apartments uh, by charles korea it's it's i think i heard in some of the podcast somewhere i had read about it it's like it's just like a a place which organically uh, grows as people inhabit it uh and mm. these are kind of i think school of thought by doshi or or korea uh, am i am i understanding it correctly um where where you, is, you build no, space there, hmm. yeah there it is still one activity that is happening there i mean there it's people living finally right hmm. uh i'm slightly digressing from there because of today's time and space in the sense that today this this business of typology worked till probably about 20 30 years back because um, as a as a as a how do you say uh, as a legacy of the modern movement uh, planning of cities was always based on this whole act of segregating the city into blocks which was supposed to do certain things and in the in the process of segregating blocks you also segregated activity this is a school this is a hospital this is a office this is a factory this is a playground hmm. so so the idea is that uh, the the tendency to categorize and how do you say put put things in boxes is 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 something which is which is a legacy which came out of planning of cities during the modernist times uh, some 20 30 years back as as we have moved from uh, where we were societies and the time and space that we spend in most of these uh, spaces now is so how do you say multi dimensional in some ways for example the lockdown was a classic example where you don't know, didn't know whether you're staying in the space or working in the space or entertaining in the space <laughs> right you had your tvs on netflix was going on uh, you're also eating somebody is also cooking somebody is gardening and you're also living and and it is exactly how cities are now it is very difficult to get yes the old types still exist I and mean, there are certain specialist types like hospitals which you can't easily break from that mold but there are so many other things which are slowly kind of opening up an office is no longer an office anymore because there is 50% work from home and 50% office 
Uh, and there are also cafeterias and there are also breakout spaces and workout spaces and all kinds of spaces. The office plan has also drastically changed now because uh, there is no such thing as I have to sit on my desk to work. I could I could take my laptop and work in the cafeteria or I can take it to the garden and sit there or I could sit anywhere and work. So 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 so, so this whole business of an activity not defining a particular type of building has been around for some time now. But it's time that some of these boxes at least if we can break. And and, and 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 yeah, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so, so especially in a context like what we're talking about, a place like Badami or a smaller town, not even a tier two city, just a small town. In a place like that, if if that if that building has to have meaning in a milieu that it exists, it can only happen if the villagers embrace that building. In simpler words, the only the only act of Occupation would be if people are there in, out, or in the fringes of that building all the time, doing something else, doing going going about their daily activities, doing something else altogether. But then those activities add to the value of what is already there, okay. and, and doesn't make this doesn't doesn't make this an exclusive item with a compound wall and a gate. Typically, like how ASI does it, you put lawns on all sides and then you put a fence around it and say trespassers will be prosecuted. Hmm. Yeah. The minute you, the minute you, the minute you have done that, it's the end of the story. Correct. And it's also funny because uh, I right now I'm in uh, Singapore and I'm also interviewing uh, Sherman uh, Stave. I, I work in Property Guru, uh, which is a real estate yeah. uh, marketplace, true, and true, true. Uh, our CEO has been constantly talking about the same thing where uh, these kind of London, Hong Kong, uh, New York and Singapore, these kind of like highly dense metropolitan yeah. cities, uh, they have a very rigid structure for roads and then cyclists and then pedestrian. And now like they build this and now they're realizing the, 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 maybe the negative side of it. And they're saying like they should be more inclusive. So maybe more pebble mm. box, so cars go slow and then cars and like cyclists can go together. There's more empathy. Mm. So it's just going around in cycles, I believe. Uh, I mean, yes. it's there, but it's it's like a very interesting uh, pattern that is being observed here. So, so, so that would be my second clue in, in some ways, saying that mm. not to look at this as an exclusive activity called a museum. Take the mm. box. And, and look at it as, as something which, if it has to belong to the town, can the town lead up to this? Are there other areas in the town? Is there a town square? Is there a panchayat office? Is there something else in the town which also starts building up the story? In simpler words, should the artifacts be only in the museum? Can, can the artifacts also be part of the town somewhere? I mean, are there other, I won't say artifacts per se, I'm saying interventions. Can interventions can also be part of the public space in other areas of the town, which then slowly build up the story before it leads you to the museum. So, so, so it becomes an act where you start owning up to your history, you start owning up to things which you value, which are there right in front of you day in and day out. They're not boxed up and put in, in, a, in a dabba in the loft, like how we do it at homes. <laughs> mm. In this case, we put it in a dabba and call it a museum. Right? So, so, yeah. so, so if, if, if the story is also kind of made to weave into the fabric of that town, identifying places of interest, identify where people gather and why do they gather and what do they do there. Can the story slowly start seeping it, seeping in like a sieve into this entire fabric? 
superb i i couldn't uh, like i mean i agree 100% because one of my goals in life is to make invisible design and that's that's very very rare phenomena because somehow the the medium stands in the middle where you have to like somehow make it more organic and more natural but i mm. i just love the idea that you shared uh, and and then one more point and then we'll conclude with the last question is that then how would you look at sustainability which, which has been a very important part uh, based on your second clue it it mm. becomes very uh, evident that if you design it that way then sustainability won't be a real issue because it will exactly. it will just be a part of it but otherwise uh, any any attributes uh, one can think about uh, especially keeping sustainability as a lens no that's a uh, sustainability is, is the how do you say the big word in in everybody's lexicon in some ways or other right now mm-hmm. um, but uh, i i would like to take two steps back here i would not want to talk about sustainability through the lens of materiality and construction and energy and local materials and all that finally to to me finally sustainability is about people mm-hmm. and if if people and their livelihoods and their culture and the way they go about their lives if one can sustain that in a certain manner then then lot of other things will automatically fall into place we 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 tend to look at the the it's, it's it's like a it's like a disease we tend to look at the symptoms and try to solve the symptoms but we rarely question what is the cause of the symptom so 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 the the the, the medicines are always to take care of the symptoms uh, so 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 to me the sustainability story right now is a symptomatic problem saying that if i do this it will work if i do that it will work if i do that it will but you rarely look at it from the perspective of Finally, it is people who have to sustain. I mean, we are sustaining this planet for whom? It is a very, uh, how do you say, um, uh, greedy, a very self-centered approach of saying that the planet needs to be sustained for us as human beings. <laughs> we are not worried actually about any other species. We are sustaining it for us. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. if I carry that, or, if I carry that argue, argument forward, okay, we are sustaining it for us. It's okay. But at least keep that discussion at the level of people and. place and culture saying that if 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 people have to sustain themselves first and foremost their livelihoods their sustenance has to be sustained you can't talk to somebody who's got an empty stomach yeah yeah yes yeah, so, so 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 to me the so the, to, to me the problem comes from there saying that if one has to sustain lifestyles if one has to sustain crafts and cults other things that we were talking about right now one has to look at the the larger picture in terms of finally how do people manage to live with a certain amount of dignity a certain amount of pride a certain amount of uh, contributing something to society at whatever level at whichever level they are that to me as a society in whole if what one can achieve then one has achieved sustainability at some other level already mm-hmm. the rest of it will automatically follow that then you'll know what to, what are the right things to do or what are the wrong things to do or what you shouldn't and shouldn't do for example there was just watching a a zoom thing on uh, blue zones in the world mm. the blue zones they have uh, identified as people where people have lived beyond 80 90 even 100 and not just because of longevity of life it is about the quality of life that they lead at that age so so you find people who are swimming at 95 who are cycling at 85 90 who are 
um, were doing all kinds of amazing stuff at that age. And one clue or one key thing that the guy is figuring out across different parts of the globe where he's traveling is the fact that it is finally about community. Mm-hmm. It, it's finally about building societies and communities which, where you belong, where you think you're needed, where you think people will care for you, where you, you will care for people, where you will contribute in some ways. And that is, in most cases, the, the major reason why people tend to live longer. Mm-hmm. Because, because you think your life has got something more to offer than when you're stuck in your own hole trying to figure out things for yourself. And, and, and that I, th- I thought was extremely interesting because then it automatically leads to a sustainable lifestyle. It means what you will eat and what you will drink and how the community behaves in a certain manner, what your common goals are, what your common interests are, um, how easy it is to appreciate somebody. Your self-validation improves because of that. There is so much that as an undercurrent then makes that society as a whole far more sustainable. Mm-hmm. I, I remember uh, my interview with uh, B.B. Doshi and mm. uh, with with his uh, elegant style, he was like nudging me to think like, does the building come first or the culture? And I said, together. <laughs> uh, to which he said, no, but unless you're thinking about culture all the time, uh, it won't happen. Like you have to like that as your anchor point and then like building might come. But if the building is there and culture is not mm. there, it, it won't be sustainable. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. To me, to me, this sustainability story, like I said, I see it a very symptomatic story. I don't want to go there. Uh, I would rather, I would rather look at it from a people's perspective at a slightly larger level to see that uh, I think even as architects and as designers, I think our goal or our interest in this should be to look at, like I said, sustainable environments, an environment which will sustain a certain kind of occupancy, sustain a certain kind of because types are dying today. The idea of a type is, is passe in some ways because you, you, you go through the cities today, if there is one mall which is working for the last six months, within the next new mall which came in town, the whole crowd shifts there. Hmm. And uh, and uh, so, so, so there are so many building types which have vanished. Theatres where people used to go in thousands before have vanished. They become multiplexes. And the multiplexes from 200, now they have brought it down to seating capacities of 50 and 60 and exclusive. So... so so, so, so a building type like a theater or a marriage hall or there are so many building types that are simply vanishing in the cities within within decades. So, so, so the type of uh, of a particular building or building for a particular type, I think, is, 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 is very shortly going to be a thing of the past. One will have to look at how, how, how people occupy spaces and then start looking at what kind of environments in which then one goes back to the activity and not the type. In what environment would I want to live? In what environment would I want to work? In what environment would I entertain myself? In what environment do I find leisure? So if the focus goes back to activity, then it goes back to people and how people behave when they're doing this or that or that will then define what kind of enclosures or what kind of environments we end up designing. Because the minute we put a tag to it saying that this is now an apartment, your head is already thinking. You already know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. But, but if I say, uh, yeah. but somehow there needs to be a, I mean, otherwise it will be very abstract, right? Somehow there needs to be some sort of a circumference, some sort of a boundary to it. So that's, so it's, 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 
it's like posing a question design an apartment of uh, 50 units with 20 units uh, one uh, one bhk another 20 units of uh, three bedroom li- living dining and blah 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 see once it becomes a numbers game you have already removed the people out of the context it becomes mathematics this is the floor plate this floor plate can accommodate so many flats and then into so many floors it gives me so many apartments and out of that so many of these so many of these and your building is ready you didn't question if 50 families have to live in this building what kind of an environment would they live in who are these 50 families which is the background they come from which part of the city is this what affordability lies in this particular area which all builders normally ask this question but then the point is you don't take those questions further i, I can I, you can still design an environment in which 50 families can live a very how do you say a fulfilling life but that should be the question <laughs> how do i put 50 families in this space so that they lead a fulfilling life now if i if i if that was the poser then then the, then the story starts from somewhere else altogether um sir actually like i'm feeling matlab is type ka conversation like it generally lands up me in very uh introspective zone ki like what are we doing like what what are we like <laughs> cool no, no, this is interesting because see one because i straddle two zones there is a practice and there is also academics i also teach mm-hmm. and been teaching for quite some time now we also mm-hmm. have a school of architecture in mysore called the wadia school of architecture which is this podcast is part of that i'm mean, sorry this uh, video which i have sent you is part of their study uh-huh. um so uh, so because we are simultaneously in two zones these questions sometimes come from students mm-hmm. and and it, and it is and you have to be how do you say in that space and in that time to to continuously be thinking these things because otherwise you can't walk into a class and start a conversation if you are walking out straight from the office because then the office is office works in a different kind of a time zone or a different kind of a space it's not that these thoughts don't come back here it is interesting because of having a foot here and a foot there which is you don't know sometimes the school walks into the office and sometimes the office walks into the school and and that that continuous synergy is what makes this whole conversation interesting mm. but do, doesn't it doesn't it happen that like these um not lofty but i would say very inspiring and like fundamental first principle uh, thinking questions are coming up and then uh, sometimes you are practicing just to like pay the bill i mean not in our context but generally that happens right like so so how like no, how can... which, which is why i'm saying it which is why sometimes the office comes to school sometimes school goes to office sometimes ideas from school a conversation in school with a student or somebody something something you once saw in a jury or something uh, once on somebody's table can be inspiring enough for you to come back to office and do something with it mm-hmm. so so, yeah. so it, it's a it's a back and forth and these ideas continuously keep traveling this way and that way. so so uh, and it keeps your mind churning all the time because these are these are thoughts one would want to keep or one would want to be in that space all the time where, where one is continuously thinking about something very basic things and sometimes not so basic things but but it's a, it's a good space to be in yeah i think that that also builds a faculty of like embracing that gray areas right because it's exactly. that's the most that's the most difficult part cool uh, so i would like to conclude with uh, one last question like and it's not like really 
for i mean we can have the badami museum context but you have given enough uh, uh, clues well, to sort of think about but again if i have to zoom out and abstract it out like any suggestions or any key uh, areas of of dwelling one can do if they want to specialize in designing museums especially i mean i don't know whether there could be a an architect or a or a profession which just does this but suppose if there's one student who generally wishes to make like i i really wish to make bridges so in this this kind of thing like uh, if if there are uh, uh, people who would like to get into specially specialize in museum design uh, any key considerations just to articulate whatever you spoke so far i think i think in some way would it would be um, defeating my own argument by saying that one one needs to specialize in this type called museum design <laughs> <laughs> huh. because yeah, yeah. because right now i am i'm propagating an exactly ulta thing saying that one needs to break the type yeah yeah uh, no, but i know so, what you mean so, yeah yeah so 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 the so what i would rather say is that in in this space where one is uh, dealing with um, this whole idea of publicness of buildings i would mm-hmm. rather not call it a museum i would say Correct. the whole idea of public space the whole idea of space where people congregate in larger numbers to do other activities than what they normally do in their homes right so so the whole idea of public space design is is an interesting space to be in as a designer if you ask me that that would be a far more fulfilling objective in terms of looking at how people occupy urban or public spaces in in whatever milieu that they live in could be a village could be a town could be a city and in that space then how does one deal with um, with activity deal with um, uh, historicity deal with culture deal with what certain communities do in a certain space which other communities will not do um, what climate does to these activities then and that would be a lovely space to be in terms of understanding the need for public see, one of the biggest conversations that is happening across everywhere is that cities have become so and so dense and so and so um how do you say uh, packed with activities of a certain kind that it has left very little space for in the public domain the public domain is slowly shrinking and become so non existent in certain areas there are no parks and playgrounds for children um they are all stuck in front of their tvs um theaters don't exist anymore everything is packed into a mall you shop there you eat there you watch your movies there everything happens that is the only public space in the city now mm-hmm. so so to to recapture this space to recapture this whole imagination of what is public space design where where museums exist art galleries exist exist eateries exist uh, theaters exist uh, shopping exists what is this space in a city or a town depending on its um, culture and the climate like all the other factors factored in what are these spaces or public spaces which would then make these things work that is a lovely space for a designer to do to recapture that space to reimagine that space in some ways because people don't congregate for what they used to congregate before mm. there are other reasons for which people congregate now so can can one imagine this other other reasons or other activities i want uh, go back to the type i would say what activities would then trigger people to get back out there and be part of a, a larger milieu that as a designer i think is an extremely challenging space to be mm. very brilliant cool uh i think we can end on this note uh 
thanks one, thanks a lot the, ha sorry one, yeah. one more point which i missed somewhere along the way was this whole idea of because it is badami and because you asked me asked me whether clues are to be given or not so i'll yeah. i'll give you one more clue there Please, uh, yeah. is this whole idea of interpreting time in the sense that uh, because this is a place in some ways frozen in time uh, the tendency to build with uh, the so called vernacular or or the local methods of building or the local aesthetic or the local um, reinterpreting the local aesthetic in in a marginal fashion so that it still belongs uh, are tendencies which people fall into in the sense that uh, it is easy to copy than to uh, than to digress right uh, but i think it would be interesting to see to see uh, a take which is uh, which is of today because in, in some ways even if it is a society or a culture which is in some ways steeped in the past it does it does not mean that they are not aware of what is happening in the rest of the world especially with mobile now yeah 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 with mobile and tv and all the gadgets that are available no town or village or city is disconnected with the rest of the world so to that extent information allows you an even access to everything now with that as the background i think as designers you can't go back to that safe hole of saying that um this was there and um, i kind of repeat it and i kind of uh, marginally modified it so it still fits i think it, it it is also our duty to challenge some of these things at times there are certain mm. contexts where where where, uh, where the fitting in is probably important but there are also certain contexts where the contrast could be equally interesting Right. But that's a, mm, yeah. but that's a that's a very private take. Like, uh, no, no, that's a very I wouldn't say slippery slope, but a very very tricky one because then, like you you wish to have the contemporary or the the time as as the t- today's time, and then mm. uh, balance it out. So I think that something lies in the middle because you don't want to like really have the cliche and also not make it very flat. as as again like not having the same steel flyovers and and glass buildings everywhere but at the same time no, yeah. so it it would be wrong to 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 dwell in that safe cocoon of of wanting to interpret history in a very safe and easy manner mm. uh through, through through style through through construction through type and through so many other things it would be interesting to see if somebody challenges that in some ways um and uh, challenges in in a in a very sensitive and a uh, in a manner where you kind of uh, juxtapose both these things together mm-hmm. and create a dialogue which then allows people to then interpret it in so many ways yeah. um th- th- there is something there which is yes here and now it is not built like it was built 500 years ago uh, and it sits in a milieu which is probably a few thousand years old perfectly all right but can uh, can a dialogue be brought or put in place between these two objects or in this between these two environments which will make people appreciate the past as well as what is present beautiful i would like to conclude on this note yeah. but just one small plug from my side as well uh, for those uh, students who are listening till this end 
is that uh, I tried some uh, mid journey and AI tools and just like try to simulate a futuristic uh, Badami architecture. Thankfully, it at least got the rock cut caves <laughs> and stuff like that. But it's very, very sad. I'm going to put it on Instagram uh, uh, just as a teaser. But uh, yeah, it's it's very, very cliche. So uh, stay away from that. <laughs> you can share this uh, Badami movie. It will be interesting. Yeah, definitely. I'll do that. Okay. I mean, uh, lot, lot of clues hidden in that. Awesome. I'll do that definitely. Cool. Yeah, it's not a long movie. It's about 15-20 minutes. Yeah. Superb. Superb. Okay. Uh, on that note, we'll conclude. Thanks a lot, uh, Prashant sir, for, for giving your time. It was uh, really an enriching experience and lots of uh, uh, food for thought, lots of clues and definitely a good repository of how a design, uh, like, yeah, how to design public space, I would rather call than a museum. Uh, okay. uh, it was wonderful having you. Thank you so much, Kedar. Thank you. That's it. And that's it from today's Gyan session. For show notes and more Gyan, visit audiogan.com. And if you wish to connect with me, I am at audiogan moments on Instagram. Until then, take care.